Produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Hello, I'm Bernard Salt. Coming up on this edition of the program, we take a look at post-COVID-19 predictions and consider how a united effort is helping Australia navigate the pandemic. Yesterday's modelling showed the future we avoided. If there had been a do-nothing environment, Australia faced anywhere between 3 million and 20 million infections. Australians collectively acted and we actually changed the future based on our own action. And we're joined by one of Europe's leading futurists who says in the wake of the coronavirus, business needs to rethink the concept of globalisation. We need another kind of globalisation. We call it the globalisation local and global in one world. This is about all of us, and it is way bigger than any of us. This is Europe's moment. That's all coming up when we discover what happens next. Well, even though we're starting to come out of lockdown, we kind of know that the world will not return to normal. Rather, there will be a new kind of normal. For business, that means it must continuously observe and respond to the evolution of the pandemic with extreme agility, which is what we're seeing across a range of sectors. Fine dining now does takeaway. Office workers are doing their job from home. Entertainment is now streamed more than ever. And retail is, of course, online. It's important that businesses, employees, employers have the tools to deal with the COVID environment and to ensure that they are all working together to support a COVID-safe workplace. No doubt we're in an ever-changing environment that requires a worldview that is not only flexible but adaptable. So to unpack what the post-coronavirus world could look like, I spoke with distinguished professor Genevieve Bell, director of the 3A Institute, and James Mabbott, partner in charge, KPMG Futures. I started by asking James how he sees the post-COVID reality. So for me, there's one thing that stands out above all others and it relates to how we connect. So one of the things that we're seeing here is how we connect with each other, the way in which we connect with organisations and how organisations connect to each other and what this then means for communities and also at an international level. And, And the best example in some ways for all of us is this remote working office environment that we're now emerging into where we've got this hybrid environment that we need to deal with that's going to change the way in which we interact with each other. Um, It's going to influence the way in which we work. It's going to accelerate um, potentially digital applications both inside the organisation and externally. Think about your local restaurants and how they're now doing takeaway and allowing pre-order and whether or not those things will continue. So it's that connectivity piece for me um, that is the thing that has most fundamentally shifted in some sense. Genevieve, a lot of people have been saying the world will be different after COVID-19. What do you see as being the most significant change that will emerge out of this? Oh, that's such a good question, Bernard. I keep being really struck by one of the things that seems to be true for many people across the world during the period of being locked down in the pandemic is that we all saw things we can't unsee again, whether that was the inside of your co-workers' homes, whether it was the choices (laughs) of sort of Zoom. Mandatory bookcase. Oh, the inevitable bookcase. Or, you know, people's interior decorating choices where you thought, did I know that about you? (laughs) Or their Zoom backgrounds, their COVID hair. So there was kind of the domestic 
things that suddenly became visible. And then I think there were the pieces of our broader world that became visible too, whether it was the supply chain failures that meant you suddenly couldn't get various kinds of food or toilet paper, or whether you suddenly realized that things came to you via mechanisms that you'd been unsure about. And I think there's something about that pieces of our world that became visible that gave us a way of thinking that I'm not sure we'll ever shed. James, given that the recovery is being rolled out in four distinct stages, what are the key areas that business needs to be aware of in order to successfully emerge from each stage? So I think, Bernard, when we looked at the data around how people were responding to this in that very first phase, there, what we called the reaction phase, it was really a case of batten down the hatches. You know, people had to get the basics right. Um, organisations were very focused on trying to protect their people, um, ensure cash flow and, and maintain customer intimacy and um, security of supply chain were things that were just so front of mind for people. And coming out of that into this phase that we're in now, which is kind of that resilience phase where we're really paying close attention to consumer demand because that's the lead indicator that's going to let us know if there are green shoots out there that signal an improvement um, in the environment. And organisations are going to continue to be very prudent in terms of how they invest and where they look to put both people and capital in terms of responding to the environment in front of them. And coming out of that, then we begin to see some early signs of recovery. And this is where people will begin to think again about hiring and investing and looking to the future and trying to position themselves to take advantage of the final stage, which is really that new reality. And and they put themselves in a position where they can really take advantage of the things that are going to be enduring, but also maintain some of those practices that have emerged through this in terms of how do we keep people safe? Um, what is the nature and the makeup of our customer relationships and the intimacy? I think the nature and relationship we have with each other and the role that things like trust will play in enabling um, economic prosperity, but also society to function at some level again. Genevieve, it's very easy to slip back into ingrained ways of thinking and operating once the dust has settled. Uh, what are the keys to ensuring business leaders, societies and governments really learn and transform out of this? Oh, wow. There's a big question. I specialise in big questions. <laughs> it's a big question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> oh, that's usually my line. Listen, I like a big question. I think you want to sort of tease that apart, right? So there are very different lessons, I think, to be learnt for business, for societies, for governments, although I think they are interrelated. I think what's been really striking for Australians over the last two months and really over the last six months is being made aware of how much we live in a society that isn't just about its consumer forces, but it's about its governmental ones. And again, for me, I mean, I spent the last 30 years living in the US, right? It is startling to come home to Australia and realize that this is a place where we think of ourselves as being part of collectives as much as we imagine ourselves as individuals. And when asked to engage in collective action at a societal level, we are willing to do so. We're now starting to see in the modelling data the true impact of the wonderful uptake by the Australian community of social distancing and general hygiene measures. So those feel like important things. So clear communication, acknowledgement of the ambiguities and uncertainties, using data and research and scientific insights feels important. And I think the continued appeal to a societal level activity and a collective activity where it isn't just about the goods of the individuals, but about the goods of our collectives. 
all feel really important. I might ask both of you, uh, as with any crisis, there are opportunities. Where are the greatest opportunities and how can business and individuals harness them? James, I might start with you. Um, you know, in a number of organisations, we're seeing that there's a large portion of people, you know, somewhere between that 20 to 30% mark who are saying they would like to be able to work from home as their primary location. And an equal number at the other end of the spectrum who say they see their primary location as the office environment. And then you've got a middle portion who sort of fluctuate between the two. And I think one of the opportunities for organisations here is that those leaders who can manage that hybrid environment well will be the people who attract and retain great talent. They'll be the organisations who will position themselves better coming out of this. And the other piece, I think, where there's real opportunity here is for those organisations who manage their digital transformation supply chains well, they're the ones who will build a, a stronger and deeper customer intimacy at the back end of this. Genevieve, greatest opportunities. I hope the greatest opportunities are around a brief moment of realising that we can control to a certain extent how our future is enacted. Three months ago in Australia, at least, we were confronted with a series of forecasts about what our mortality and infection rates would look like with COVID-19. And those were disturbing at the very least, right, and terrifying at their most extreme end of what it would be like for our community and our country. What yesterday's modelling showed us from the outset, the sort of risks that Australia faced of anywhere between 3 million and potentially 20 million infections. Through a series of concerted efforts at a government level, a business level and at a societal level, Australians collectively acted and we sit three months later in a place not on any of those original projections. Uh, if there had been, as Professor Murphy described, a do-nothing environment, that was the alternative world that Australia could face. We actually changed the future based on our own action. And for me, there's something startling and striking in that lesson, that given the right impetus, we can act collectively across multiple stages to deliver a different future. James and Genevieve, thanks very much for joining the program. As we in Australia grapple with questions of a post-COVID-19 world and what that may look like, so too are our European counterparts. Matthias Hawkes is one of Europe's most influential futurists who says as we chart our path through the pandemic, there is an opportunity to move toward a brighter future. Matthias Hawkes, welcome to the program. Hello, it's very nice to talk to you from Vienna. Matthias, what is the biggest lesson that business leaders can learn from the pandemic and how can they use the lessons as they move forward? Well, there would be a lot of, but I could probably pick one in the short time. And, and that is that globalization in its old way is over. You know, the old globalization 3.0, like we call it, the idea of higher and higher efficiency with global value chains. So you produced 1,500 little parts of a product in China, transported it to Europe and made a car out. 
And we can see that in a fragile world, in a world where you have phenomenons like the coronavirus, that will not work again. We need another kind of globalization. We call it the glocalization, so local and global in one world. So the production depths in the countries will be higher in the future. So we have to rearrange the global value change. That is one important point, but that's only one thing. All the other things about the workspace were changed quite quickly now. A lot of people didn't like um, electronic conferencing uh, over video. I mean, especially in Europe, it wasn't very fashionable. But we all do it now. And that means we can also a little bit relax. We can, we can create other work models in, in a lot of industries. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen recently announced an agreed economic stimulus package for the 27-member bloc. We are in a very deep economic crisis and it will take quite a while to recover from that. Therefore, the European Union gave a very strong answer to inject liquidity in our economies. We spend a sum for the economy of 3.4 trillion. There are a lot of competing interests throughout the EU. So will the common foe of the virus really create a lasting sense of unity across Europe? Well, that's a tricky question because everybody is asking for unity. I mean, is it human to have unity with different interests, different individuals? I'm living in Austria and Austria came very, very, very well through the crisis. We did the right things in Austria, like in Germany. The Italians had a horrible time. And now just to say, well, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about it. We'll just demolish the European economy for years. So there will be solutions, which be probably compromises. Of course, the devil is always in the details. So there's a lot of discussion about how to spend the money and how much in loans, how much in grants. But the overall idea to have the seven-year budget of the European Union topped by a recovery instrument and this front-loaded for the acute crisis, this finds a lot of positive response. Matthias, when social distancing was introduced at the beginning of the pandemic, some people were concerned that this would increase the feeling of isolation and social dislocation. But you actually have a different view on the effect that social distancing has had. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, that was the main paradox we all experienced, that suddenly distancing went to the opposite. And that's, I think it's quite often so in life, that if you expect something in this way, it comes out in the other so a lot of people started to concentrate on their real relationships because they had to. And that led to a kind of inner enlightenment that we lost our ability to communicate and to really make bondings with people around it. And that was this counter effect. But that was, of course, not true for people who were lonesome and isolated in their life before. For them, it was a real challenge. And I think that paradox is one of the productive paradoxes of the crisis. It's interesting to think that technology and social media, which can exacerbate depression and isolation, have seemingly provided a channel for connection during this period. What do you think about that proposition? Yes, the promise of the digital um, salvation was getting weirder and weirder. In the last 10 years, we all have the feeling there is a lie behind it, you know, because digitalization worked in one way very well. 
when it was, was about production and, and, and machineries and all this kind of industrial stuff. But in the human communication, it was poisonous. I mean, the media was weaponized by this overconnectivity of the digital world. And what happened is we took what is really human on digital technologies and we used it in our way, how we needed it to connect to each other. And on the other side, we came back to analog techniques. All the people I'm in the resonance with, uh, we all read books again. We all telephoned. We went back to the slow communication ways. And I think that means... In this contradiction, there is a new way of using technology in a better and more human sense. Let's fast forward to this time next year. What do you predict we will be saying about the year 2020? <laughs> well, the Chinese have a nice saying, you are blessed when you're living in interesting times. <laughs> but I think the amount of experiences which brought people to themselves and also businesses and also management to the core points of where they have to go, it's bigger than the losses. Of course, we will have losses. There will be societies which have big problems and economic problems to come up again. But we also realize that probably growth and speed and acceleration is not everything on this world. And it's also killing us. I think that in one year's time, we will transport the experiences, the positive experiences of the corona crisis. And we will transport that for the big problem, which is in front of us, which is global warming. And, you know, if we can flatten the curve of a virus, why can't we flatten the curve of the CO2 production of humankind? This is the question, which is a big elephant in the room. Matthias Hawkes, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. Hi, I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons, the executive producer of What Happens Next. And now it's that time in the program for something a little bit different, where we turn the tables and I get to interview our host and resident demographer, Bernard Salt. So Bernard, I thought it was really interesting what Matthias was saying about globalization now transforming into what he calls glocalization. What's your view on that? Well, I do think that this was one of the most important points that Matthias made. And I've seen evidence of it hinted at elsewhere, but he put it particularly well. This is the idea that we have been pursuing rampant globalization for 20, 25 years or more, perhaps. But the coronavirus has made us rethink that. And the best examples of that is, well, there is a complete shutdown of international air travel, for example. And at, a, at an Australia level, even travel across state boundaries has, uh, has stopped. So it's forced us to focus on our local communities. There has even been a, a, a call to what I would call develop uh, supply chain sovereignty. This is the idea that we need to be better at making stuff and being self-sufficient. What we will do, I think, in the 2020s and beyond is to focus more on getting a balance right of retaining key capabilities and supporting key industries on the Australian continent. You know, I think what Genevieve said about you know, through this uh, situation that we're all in, we've seen things we can't really unsee, you know, like people's COVID hair and interior decorating choices and, and those sorts of things. Do you, do you think that this kind of behind the curtain revelation about our colleagues and business contacts has acted as sort of a societal glue that makes us feel closer, even though we're not physically in the same space? 
Again, I think that this was one of the more prescient comments in the interviews that we've just done. It's an observation, I think, of a fundamental shift in consumer values. Instead of putting on a front and seeing an image that you can actually curate in the office or in a, in a public sense, these Zoom interviews with experts in their home where you don't have the best camera angles, you don't have the best lighting, you have a background which might have a bookcase with everything all in a bit of a mess. But it doesn't really matter. This is the whole point. COVID hair. I hadn't heard of the term COVID hair before. But again, <laughs> it's it shows there is a reality. Strip bare. This is real life. This is authentic values. And I'm hoping that that real value, that real connection is something we can take forward and build this better community, better Australia in the post-COVID world. And, and I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned curating an image for, I guess, a professional sort of um, role. But what about personal levels apart from work? You know, how do you see life being different going forward? Well, just in a human interaction sense, the complicated navigation of interpersonal relationships, if men and women, of course, can't shake hands, then how do they greet each other? It's a great conundrum. This idea of touching elbows is really awkward. I mean, it's sort of a bit comical at first and you sort of... It is a bit weird, yeah, isn't it? it? You know, it's just an <laughs> awkward movement. You know, will we see a resurfacing of the head bow? You know, back in the 1960s, when I was a you know, very, very small kid, men and women sort of nodded when they met. That was it. It's a bit like uh, Georg von Trapp sort of clicking his heels and nodding. <laughs> rather than actually connecting, physically connecting. But that, to me, is the, is the most obvious way in which uh, the, the post-corona world could change consumer and interpersonal behaviour. And, of course, we're also seeing an acceleration in terms of innovation in business. Um, James mentioned that. Also, Bill Gates has been out talking about this. I do think using digital approaches and maybe not traveling quite as much that will take what would have been 10 to 15 years of digital adoption and, you know, cram it into a very short period. Likewise, you know, behaviors around shopping or, or how people get in touch with each other. And so a lot of it's an acceleration of trends that were already there. There is no doubt that an event like this really focuses the mind and really uh, really does intensify changes that I think were always going to be made. And I think Bill Gates did make that point, that these things have been in train. All the coronavirus has done has simply accelerated. The need for digital transformation is right now. And for, I would say, the last 20 years, uh, any business meeting, any corporate strategy had almost its number one uh, priority number one bullet point up there on the list uh, was sustainability, and rightly so. Of course, these are very important issues. Whereas I think in the 2020s, sustainability is still there, but I think it's been usurped. And number one is now innovation, adaptability, agility. We used to manufacture products. Now we can also make ventilators. We were a distillery or a brewery. Now we can make hand sanitizer. We used to operate entirely in an office. Now we have a number of remote locations. So really we're looking for business to emphasise adaptability, agility, survivability. For many businesses, this is life or death. You do need to adapt to the new reality that lies beyond the lockdown. All right, well, that's all for the program. Thank you, Bernard. 
Thank you, Whitney. And thank you for listening to What Happens Next. You've been listening to What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Produced in association with KPMG Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.